Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that there are so many promises in your word that we can confidently declare it is well with my soul. We can confidently declare that no matter what happens in this life, you are with us and you are to be blessed. Lord, we thank you that kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but yours is the only kingdom that will last forever. We thank you for all the words of Scripture that teach us these things and give us these promises so that we can walk through this life with hope and peace and joy. We thank you for all this and so much more. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank everyone for being here today, especially those who are newer to our church and those who are visiting for the first time today. Welcome, and I hope you feel welcomed. You'll notice that the title of our message this morning has to do, you look at that and you say, whoa, we're talking about that this morning. Talking about the Antichrist, huh? Especially if you are visiting with us today, you might be thinking, why in the world did the preacher pick this topic for today? He's going around inviting people to this service, telling them there's going to be free food afterwards, and this is what he chooses for a sermon topic here. But the thing is, is that you have, if you have some kind of Christian experience, or if you've gone to church before, or even if you don't have much interest in that kind of thing at all, the topic of the end of the world has crossed your mind more than once. And you know it. The end of the world has crossed your mind more than once. There have been all sorts of thriller movies out there based on this topic. Whether it's some apocalyptic event, or the destruction of the world, or even, yes, a figure that's a type of antichrist. A world ruler that establishes a new world order over the entire earth. Some popular concepts connect, connected with such a person are the numbers 666, and what we think of as the mark of the beast. These are all things that we've heard of and that have crossed our minds. So really... While at first this may seem like a random topic for today, especially for anyone who, here who doesn't have much Bible or church experience, this is actually a topic that we've all thought about more than once and probably quite often. So because of that, we're going to look at what the Bible actually teaches us about this figure and what we can take away today about him. I'm going to make you think today. So hopefully you had at least one cup of coffee today. Hopefully two, so you can, you can stay with us here. Here's a, this is a message in the current series that we've been going through in our morning services, going through Paul's second letter to the Christians living in a city named Thessalonica, known to us simply as Second Thessalonians in the New Testament. This is the second message in a mini-series on this topic of the Antichrist. Last week, we covered a certain timeline of end times events, from scripture. And if you like the, uh, the full version of what we already covered, that video recorded message is on our website and on our, on our podcast feed. To summarize, the Bible teaches us that we today are part of the same theological historical time period as the people the Apostle Paul is writing to here in our letter, in our, in our passage this morning, and it's known as the church age, the age of grace. 
There will be a day, however, when, as prophesied in the Bible, where Jesus himself will descend partially out of heaven to call up to himself all those who had put their faith in the salvation from sin, won by his death and resurrection, whether they previously died before that point or are still alive at that point. That world event is known by the big R word, the rapture. Perhaps you've heard that term before. When Jesus himself will rescue those who have put their faith in him for their salvation. And in this way, Jesus not only provides salvation from the curse of sin and salvation to eternal life, but salvation from the horrific time period that will overcome the world following the event of the rapture. And you can read all about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18. That horrific time period will come over the entire world following the rapture and is known as the day of the Lord from the prophecies from the Old Testament or the great tribulation from prophecies from the New Testament. It will be a time of unprecedented persecution, execution, sickness, famine, and death. And you might ask, how and why would a loving God do that to the world? It's a legitimate question. But here's the thing. God is perfect in every way, is he not? He is perfectly loving, perfectly good, and perfectly just. We know how evil this world has become. People do unspeakable acts of evil against their fellow human beings. If, if God is perfectly loving and perfectly just, then he cannot allow the evil of this world to go unpunished. Or else he's not perfectly loving and he's not perfectly just. And so we read in the Old Testament book of Isaiah that the entire purpose of the Great Tribulation period is for God to pour out his wrath on this world and pay it back for all of its injustices and evil. All that injustice that people face every day, and we wonder, when is God going to make this right? You know, every time you turn on the news or you look at something on social media and you see the injustices and the evils going on in this world, and you say, when, God, are you going to make this right? This is when God will start to make that right during this tribulation period. This is when God will start to make all the injustices and evil in this world right. This tribulation period will last for seven years, as we determine from the Old Testament prophecy in the book of Daniel. It's during that seven-year period that this individual, known by a few different names in Scripture, but most famously known as the Antichrist, appears on the world stage. We talked last week that what will begin this seven-year period will be when the Antichrist, who has risen in power to consolidate all the world's governments into one world government, led by him, will enter into a special treaty with Israel, promising them peace. From what we know of what shape the Middle East is in already, how attractive do you think that covenant is going to be to the nation of Israel? Very. Very attractive. 
What will probably be a part of this treaty between the Antichrist and Israel, if it hasn't already happened before this, will be the reconstruction of the Jewish temple that was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. And this will be a very important development for what will come when it comes to the Antichrist. You might be thinking the question, <laughs> okay, pump the brakes here. How in the world are all the nations of this world, I look around, that's never going to happen. How are all the nations of this world going to agree to give up their sovereignty and become a part of a one world government? How in the world are they going to agree to that? We read in the verses preceding the verses we're covering this week that there will be a strong delusion that will come over the world and that through satanic signs and wonders, most of the world's population will be deceived into believing that the Antichrist or the Anti-Messiah is really the real Christ or the real Messiah. Even at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period, it won't take much for the majority of the world's governments to wish to join with this enigmatic and rising leader who promises them peace and prosperity. Because who here, if I said, does anybody here want world peace, would not raise their hand. It's something that we all as human beings desire. It's not going to take very much for somebody who's very enigmatic and very powerful seeming, who promises peace and prosperity to the world, along with this delusion that will come over the world to get them to want to join with him and become part of this one world government. About this, Paul says, when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them, and there will be no escape. That disaster that Paul is talking about, even when everyone is saying, look at how peaceful and secure everything is, that disaster will be the tribulation. So while the seven-year period of the tribulation begins with this treaty establishment between the world leader Antichrist and Israel, we read in the Old Testament book of Daniel that halfway through those seven years, the Antichrist will break that treaty. He's going to say this is no longer in effect. He's going to break that treaty, getting rid of the Jewish system of worship. The Apostle Paul, in the verses preceding the ones this morning, prophesies that instead the Antichrist will set himself up as God at that point in the temple of the Lord and deceive the world's population into worshiping him as God. Those who refuse to do so will be executed, as we learn from the New Testament book of Revelation. As we've gone through these prophecies, this sounds like an awful, horrible traumatic time in the world, doesn't it? We've already covered why this is, but the verses we'll be talking about this morning address the concern, what role does God play in all of this? Where is God in all of this? And, equally and an equally relevant concern, I thought the world was bad enough now. Where is God with all the evil going on now? And what differentiates the world as it is now from what's going to happen in the future? These are all very real concerns. They're all very legitimate concerns. And are so powerful, these concerns are so powerful, that they've caused many to doubt the very existence of God as revealed in the Bible at all. How many times have you heard people say that? 
I don't believe in God because of all the evil going on in this world. And how could a loving God allow all this evil to go on in the world? And because of that, then I don't believe in God. How many times have you heard that? We're going to talk about that this morning. Our verses today give us an answer to these very real concerns. The believers in Jesus living in Thessalonica had the very same concern. Only their concern was that they saw how bad things were in the world, especially through the intense persecution leveled at them for their faith and feared that they were already in the tribulation period. Paul gave them evidence in the verses preceding this as to why this wasn't true. And Paul gives them assurance in these verses today that as bad as things seemed in the world, they weren't as bad as they will get in the Great Tribulation. And Paul will tell them why. So the first point that we come to in our passage this morning is the restrainer. You'll see in our verses that there's a figure referred to as the restrainer. So with all of this that we just talked about in our minds, let's read one of our verses, our verses for this morning. We're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you brought your Bible with you today, awesome. Turn it to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you didn't, that's also perfectly fine. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to 2 Thessalonians if you don't know where that is. There's no shame in that. Look in the table of contents. It's in the New Testament. Flip forward to the, to the page where 2 Thessalonians starts and keep going until you get chapter 2. And then we're going to start in verse 6 here. And we read, And you know what restrains him now. We're talking about the Antichrist. So that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. We know exactly what Paul is talking about here, right? Exactly. You can tell me right now what, what he's talking about here. We know, all right, there, there are a couple of, 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 of beings referred to here, figures referred to here, aren't there? One of them is simply referred to by the pronouns him and his. Who's that? The Antichrist. That's the him and his, and these verses is referring to the Antichrist. In the context of what Paul is talking about, him and his is referring to the Antichrist. Now, who is the other being referred to here? What, who is given the name, the title, the restrainer? Well, there are several theories regarding the identity of this restrainer. Some theorize that it is the church. Now, that's a possibility, especially in connection with the removal of the church at, that, at the point of the rapture, which will be before this. However, Paul is connecting these verses with the revelation of who the Antichrist really is, and when this seems most likely to happen is when he sets himself up as God in the Jewish temple. We read from scripture that that won't happen until halfway through the tribulation period. While there will be people who come to faith in Jesus during the tribulation period, where will the millions of true believers in Jesus, those who make up the church right now, be at that point? Gone. They're not going to be on earth. They're going to be with Jesus in heaven during this whole time, having been raptured before any of this tribulation stuff happens. 
So who is most likely Paul referring to here as the one who currently restrains the culmination of evil in this world and who will continue to until the revelation of who the Antichrist really is when he sets himself up as God in the Jewish temple sometime during the seven-year tribulation? In this context, Paul says in the preceding verse, verse 5, that he had already told them who this being was. And then he repeats that in verse 6. He says, and you know, (laughs) I already told you this while I was still with you. That's why he doesn't see the need to disclose the restrainer's identity in his letter to them. He assumes they already remember that. We already talked about this towards the beginning of this message. But what will deceive the majority of the world's population into worshiping the Antichrist as the actual Christ will be this. The one who's coming, the Antichrist, is in accord with the activity of who? Satan. With all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish. You notice that? The world's delusion that the Antichrist is really the Christ or the Messiah, will be powered by Satan himself. See, when we do wrong things, when we sin, what's a a favorite excuse we like to use? The devil made me do it, right? But in reality, when the enemy got kicked out of heaven, how many angels got kicked out of heaven with him? A third of the angels in heaven got kicked out with him. There, are, there were cr- countless numbers of angels created when God created the angels. So for a third of those to be kicked out of heaven with the enemy, there is a whole hierarchy of powers of darkness at work in this world. Satan is at the very top, and he has a whole hierarchy of angels underneath him because the equivalent of Satan is Michael the archangel. So when... You sin, or you're tempted, or you have discouragement come over you. The one whispering in your ear is most likely not Satan himself, but one of these beings of darkness in this hierarchy under Satan. But when this stuff starts happening, and the world is deceived by the power of this man, the one who will be empowering him is Satan himself, the head of of the hierarchy of darkness himself. When we talk about dark power, Satan is the most powerful. And here, talking about the Antichrist, it's whose power that will be flowing through the Antichrist. Satan. Not just some demons, but Satan himself. We're not talking about a few magic tricks here and there. The Antichrist is just going to keep pulling out some piece of fabric out of his mouth. Nothing like that is going to happen. We're talking about the most powerful, powerfully deceptive signs and wonders available to the Prince of Darkness. That's what we're talking about. Here's where that revelation is connected to the identity of the, of the restrainer. Who is the only one who is more than powerful enough to keep a limit and cap on Satan's power and activity. God, he's the only one powerful enough to do that. As we think about the Trinity, where is God the Father at this point? Sitting on his throne in heaven. 
Where is Jesus right now at this point? Sitting at the right hand of the Father. And this will be through the whole entirety of the seven-year tribulational period. Who is the only member of the Trinity who is working in this world now and will continue to work in the world until it's time for the Antichrist to set himself up as God and reveal who he really is to the world? The Holy Spirit. Most likely, the Holy Spirit is the restrainer that Paul is referring to here. Now, in this current age, the Holy Spirit restrains the culmination of evil through his indwelling of believers in Jesus and in his general working in human society to keep evil in check. When Jesus tells his disciples that he will be giving them the Holy Spirit, he says, and when he, and he the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. We know from the Bible that when people recognize their sinfulness and complete inability to be restored to God and have an eternity with him, except that Jesus' death and resurrection was to pay the penalty for their sin and know that it's only God's forgiveness through what Jesus did on our behalf that will restore us to him and take God for all of who he is, his love, justice, provision, and kingship over our lives, that when that commitment is made, the Holy Spirit immediately comes to permanently live inside of us. He not only seals our eternal destiny with God, but he goes to work on our hearts, stretching and growing our faith and making us more and more like Jesus in our daily living. That transformation of our hearts and opening our eyes to do what we can do to curb the tide of evil in this world is one way that the Holy Spirit is restraining the full extent of evil crashing over this world. Once believers in Jesus are raptured, that aspect of the Holy Spirit's restraint of evil will greatly diminish, but it's not going to completely disappear. Once the rapture happens, the Holy Spirit's restraint of evil will continue to center on his continuation of generally working in society and leading other people to faith in Jesus. When the Holy Spirit stops doing that, that is generally working in society to keep evil in check, the world will be completely opened up to the deceptions of Satan working through the Antichrist, and the majority of the world's population will be deluded into rejecting the one true God and worshiping the anti-Messiah. The world will only follow the laws the Antichrist sets up, ones based on what Satan wants. That's why Paul refers to it as the mystery of lawlessness because it's only based on what Satan wants. I'm not going to go too far into this, but for those of you already familiar with the prophecies given in Revelation, this seems to line right up with what is described in Revelation 11 and 13. Revelation 11 talks about, during the tribulation, two people known as the two witnesses who will preach the gospel for 1,260 days. You can read that in Revelation chapter 11. If you do the math, 1,260 days comes out to 42 months. For any of you mathematic brainiacs out there, what does that come out to in terms of years? Three and a half years. The halfway point of the seven-year tribulation. At the end of those three and a half months, the Antichrist will kill them and publicly display their bodies to mock them and God. After three and a half days, however, God will resurrect them and take them up to heaven in the sight of everyone. 
There's a very clear distinction between this first half of the tribulation and what starts off the second. The second half of the tribulation, we read about the Antichrist, that he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for the second 42 months. All the people who belonged to this world worshipped him. If you do the math, 42 months is the other three and a half years of the tribulation. So what does this mean? It means that for the first half of the tribulation, the Holy Spirit will be speaking through the two witnesses, leading people to Jesus and continuing to keep evil in check. But then there's a very clear distinction between that first half and the second half of the tribulation, where the Antichrist is given all authority to do whatever he wants, including forcing those deceived by him to worship him as God. That in and of itself is likely evidence that the Holy Spirit's ministry of at least holding evil in check has been removed at that point between the first and second halves of the tribulation. Satan will rule the world through the Antichrist. I hope I've piqued your curiosity, especially if you're newer to the Bible, newer to church. If you want to know more, we'll be talking more about this subject next week. So this is an invitation to everyone here to be back next week, and we'd love to see you again. We'll pick back up with this. Was I really that obvious with that? Now let's connect all this today. I told you we were going to get to that question of how could a loving God allow all this evil in the world to happen? Really, if we think about it, where is God with all the evil going on in the world right now? Right here. He's right here in this world indwelling us and restraining evil from getting even worse we can see that evil has the very real potential to get even worse. One might be tempted to think, how can evil get worse? There are horrific, unspeakable things happening to people all over the world. Starvation, sexual assault, theft, exploitation, slavery, genocide, infanticide, wars, loss of homes, tearing apart of families, murder, suicide, and the list goes on and on. How can you say it can get worse? than this. All I can explain to you is what the Bible says. I, I'm not speaking any of this on my own authority. I'm not making any of this up. All I can tell you is what the Bible says. This world is cursed because of our sin. Our ancestors thought they were better off without God and really wanted to be like God themselves. And you can read about that in the first few chapters of Genesis. So what did we get? We got a world where we could continue to think we could be God. How well has that worked out for us? The only thing that this has led to is a snowballing of heartbreak, broken dreams, heartache, physical, emotional, mental, psychological, and spiritual pain, and ultimately, death. Not one of us is any different from those who have gone before us. The selfishness may take different forms, but the sinful heart is the same, with only one solution throughout the ages. So really, for God to take any interest in the restraint of our own sin and actually do it is an incredible 
act of God's grace towards us, isn't it? For him to actually take an interest in restraining the evil in this world to go any further and actually do it is an incredible act of grace on his part towards us. The curse of this world is our own doing. But even in that, God still is in this world restraining the evil from getting even worse. The world could be even more evil than it is right now and will become that way during the time of the tribulation. But God in his grace is keeping it in check right now. So where is God when all these terrible events happen? Preventing things from getting even worse. That's where God is when all these terrible things are happening. So rather than it being a reason to doubt the existence of God, it's a reason to prove the existence of God. But you know what? There will be a day when evil will skyrocket. A mere man will set himself up to be worshipped as God. And the entire world will do exactly that. And things will look absolutely hopeless. The world will look completely lost to darkness. The Holy Spirit will have even stopped doing his ministry of keeping the world in check. And it will look like Satan has complete dominion over this world. But with God... Are things ever hopeless? No. So then something else happens. Verse 8. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Amen? There will be a day when it looks like spiritual darkness has completely covered every nook and cranny of this earth that Jesus himself will suddenly appear out of heaven with his army at his back. You can read all about this event in Revelation chapter 19. As Paul says, Jesus will come back and put an end to the reign of the Antichrist and his empowerer Satan. Here, Paul says that that end will come by the breath of his mouth. And Revelation 19, 15 through 16 says the exact same thing except with a little bit more detail. And it says from his mouth, the breath of his mouth will come a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wow. That's a much different image of Jesus than perhaps we might be uh, exposed to in Sunday school with a very nice guy holding a baby lamb, right? That's a very different description of Jesus. His first coming was about his humility, his sacrifice, obedience, and defeat of death. His second coming will be all about pouring out the justice of God on the culmination of evil in this world and setting up God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I hope you've seen the common denominator in what needs to happen in every human life in order to be raptured up to Jesus and be with him forever. It doesn't matter what your past is, who you are, what your socioeconomic status is, 
what your political party affiliation is, what you've done, what you struggle with now, or what's happened to you in your past. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is if you've removed all of the excuses, all the justifying, all the belittling, and you see yourself as you really are. That's really what it comes down to. All of us are people who are born into sin, are attracted to do sinful things. Let's just be honest and gravitate towards our selfishness. We can't help it. That's what being human really is. Our only hope is what Jesus did for us the first time he came to this earth. He came as fully God and fully man. Fully God in order to be a perfectly sinless sacrifice and fully man in order to pay the penalty for humanity's sin on our behalf. He taught us what being a part of God's spiritual kingdom really meant and then willingly went to the cross to pay the payment for our sin that he did not deserve. But we did. Three days later, which we just celebrated on Easter Sunday a few weeks ago, he rose again from the dead, proving that he was all he said he was, that is, God, and defeating our greatest enemy, death. When we accept that sacrifice and resurrection for what we deserve and commit the rest of our lives to living for God out of gratitude for him providing a way for us to have him as our father and eternity with him, God starts to introduce his infinite redemption, healing, restoration, and growth into our lives. And then one day, that work that he has begun in us will be fully completed when he comes back for us. We will be spared from the culmination of evil in this world and enjoy eternity with the presence of God. But it all starts somewhere. It has to. It all has to start somewhere. You can already see the world setting the stage for the rise of the Antichrist and the events of the tribulation. And you don't need me to describe them to you. You can see them plainly. All of God's other prophecies in his word have come to pass in this world. And you can better believe that all of his future prophecies for this world are going to come to pass too. So the question remains. You can say, well, that's all interesting. I learned a lot today. It's cool. But the question remains, what is all of this going to change in you? It demands an answer. It demands a change in us. If you have not accepted God's free gift of salvation, what's stopping you? What's it going to take for you to see these prophecies that we've been talking about come to fruition? that point it may be too late accept God's gift of salvation right now not only from the curse of your sin and eternal banishment from his presence and salvation to having him in your life right now and eternal life with him but also from the culmination of evil to come those of you who have made this commitment to God through Jesus Christ remember the truth of God's word what difference does it make in your life right now? You might say, I already did that. I already prayed that. I already became a Christian. I already gave my life to God through Jesus. You're not off the hook. What difference does this still make in your life right now in terms of living for him in the everyday moment? 
Yes, we will be spared from the culmination of evil, but what does that knowledge mean for you in how you're living your life right now and what you're showing to others who are looking at your life? Are you sharing the truth of Jesus' message of hope, truth, and salvation? Are you living in a way that is truly reflective of the anticipation of his return? You might say, yeah, I believe he's coming back for me. But how does that look like in your life? What does that look like in your life? Believe it or not, the world will continue to go the way, the, the, the world will not continue to go the way that it always has been. These things will happen, interrupting everything. The question is, whose side do you choose to be on, and how does your life show that right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this powerful message, something that may seem random, especially for those of us who don't have much interest or or experience in the Bible. But Lord, something that we've all thought about, the end of the world, what's going to happen. Lord, I pray that that this time this morning has started the wheels in our heads turning, if they haven't started turning. Lord, I pray that we would be honest with ourselves and take a real look at the state of our souls and really ask ourselves the question, is it really well with my soul? Do I really know where my soul is headed? Lord, I pray that for those who are here today who don't know, that today would be the day of their salvation. Today they would let go of themselves, cling to you because of your sacrifice and resurrection. Say, Lord, I know that I mess up. Lord, I know that I sin. I need you in my life. And I know I can only have you because of the payment that Jesus paid on my behalf for my sin. I make you my Savior and my King. Lord, if we've already done that, how is that reflected in our lives, in our everyday living? Does that give us eternal hope every day? Does that fill us with your joy and your excitement and your encouragement and your boldness to continue to live every day on a mission from you to bring one more person into the kingdom of God? Lord, I pray that you would empower and excite and embolden all of us to do the work that you have for us to do, to live the lives that you have for us to live that you may receive all the glory. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name.